Hey, this is Soma79, host of the Articulate Ox podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, this is the third episode, and we have a great one here for you with guest Kimberly Tronic. So I've known Kim for a very long time, 20 plus years, and um, she's been a very close friend of mine for pretty much since almost the day that I met her. And she's just one of those people who I once joked with her that I consider her one of my best friends, but I bet everybody who's ever met her considers her one of her their best friends because she's one of those people who treats everybody like their best like she's their best friend and it's a really admirable trait and she's just a wonderful amazing warm-hearted person so unfortunately she had to deal with cancer in her life though she did a little bit of making lemonades out of lemons because she wrote two pretty amazing books about her cancer journey she wrote two cancer memoirs one first one came out a few years ago dear can dear diary does this cancer make my ass look fat great read and then she has got another one because unfortunately her cancer came back for a second round. She has a new book that just came out a couple of weeks ago called Dear Diary, Cancer's Back, Gimme Snacks, My Salty Sweet Saga 2.0. Another great book from Kim Tronic. So Kim decided after doing these couple of books in the process, she decided she was going to take a different path in her career going forward. And she is now in nursing school. And she studied to become a nurse and part, partially inspired by her own journey with cancer and all the amazing medical professionals that helped her out along the way. Uh, the books are really, they're funny, they're poignant, they're sad, they're everything you would expect out of a cancer memoir with uh, Kim's own little twist on it, which I think once you meet her and listen to the conversation, you'll understand why she, why her perspective is so fresh and unique and why she's somebody with a really, really important voice. So I'm not going to waste too much time here up top. I just want to get right to the conversation with Kim. So I appreciate you listening and add me on social media at Soma79 on Instagram and at Soma79.com on Twitter and uh, follow and subscribe. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Articulate Ox podcast, or as my guest refers to it, the awkward ox or the obnoxious ox or whatever. I don't even know what it's called anymore. But my guest today is Kimberly Tronic. I'm, I can't believe I'm calling you Kimberly. It's a hard time finding your book because I kept looking for Kim or Kimmer. Um, Kimberly Tronic, author of, she's got a new book coming out, Dear Diary, Cancer's Back, Gimme Snacks, My Salty Sweet Saga 2.0. I said that way more fun than I probably should have, <laughs> but um what's up kim how you doing first of all thank you for having me um i know it is weird referring to me as kimberly when you and i have known each other for so long and i'm either kim kimmy kimmy cat or kimmers uh, a lesser known fact but uh, i appreciate you adopting this sort of more formal title which i've tried to also adopt in the more recent years and it's very uncomfortable it's like a sweatshirt that's like super rigid and doesn't fit so we can revert back uh for the purpose of this chat back to kim if that's, that's funny possible. i i run the same thing because there's some people who refuse to call me timothy like and that's what i go by most of the time usually i mean it's not somo but like that's what i go by and like and it's just some people are like nah <laughs> we ain't I know. doing that it's it's like verbal starch. It's just stiff, but yeah. it rolls again, off the um, tongue. Yeah. Yes. But thank you for having me. Thank you. No um, pleasure chatting with you. I am doing awesome. I'm just gearing up for a uh, school to start in a couple of weeks. Uh, I think, as you know, um, studying to become a registered nurse. So clearly That's that'll awesome. just be a, 
Thank you. A very simple, smooth process, I'm sure. Yeah, you're good. I mean, my mom was a nurse, so it seemed like she would never, you know. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very low stress. Profession. Right, right. She worked She worked in the ER overnights when I was a kid, when I was like growing up. So. Yeah. Gotcha. So she's she's well versed in the uh, the joy, I'm sure, of the 12 hour overnight. Yeah. So she's seen some shit, you know. <laughs> As but, one does in the ER, as one yes. does. Yeah, as one um, does. But yes, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to uh, invade the podcast uh, space here. Um, as you mentioned, yeah, book just dropped on Amazon a couple of days ago. So, you know, don't have any reviews rolling in yet. But my mom said it was funny, although I swear way too much. That was like my first official review. It was just too many cuss words. So I've tried to be conscientious of that, uh, you know, on social media and outward. Yeah. But you do flip through these pages, then um, yeah, there there was a uh, let's see. At one point, when I the manuscript was done, I had it in a Microsoft Google Doc, and I believe it was 187 pages in a Google Doc. So I did like the search F function, which is yeah. fine. And I typed just find the F word. (laughs) That's exactly it. So I typed in the F word to the little search box and it spit back. This word is there 187 times. And I was like, like the script for Goodfellas. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I couldn't have planned that better. There was one F bomb for every. (laughs) I didn't even do that math. Yeah. It was one to one. And so at that point I kind of stepped back and I was like, maybe my mom is right. It's a little excessive because when you think about it, when you use it so often, it sort of loses its potency, right? And it just becomes so run of the mill. You keep hearing it and it loses its punch. So at that point I was like, all right, Kimberly, let's dial this back. Yeah. Now that I'm a Kimberly, I can't, I can't average that the one-to-one ratio (laughs) on the F word. Well, when you're being, when you're in trouble or when you have to be starting with yourself, it is the full name. So at that point, yes. Kimberly, let's like dial it in a little bit. And I, I cut out a chunk of them. So is it still, is it, is it children friendly? Absolutely not. Yeah. It's still probably rated R um, for poor language choices. Well, you're a rated R superstar in my book. So. <laughs> um, okay. All right. So I, I don't even know where to start here. I will show, I do have your first book here, which I read in one night when I got it. Uh, Dear Diary, Does This Cancer Make My Ass Look Fat? Um, it's a great book. I read it and it, it really read, I mean, I've known you for 20, 23 years maybe. And yeah. it, yeah, I could really read your voice and you told me a lot of the story as it was happening. And then it was in the book as you told me. So, I mean, I guess I can, <laughs> I can fact check like, this. Yes. Yeah. Like, this is boring. I already heard this the first time yeah, from yeah. her mouth, but okay. Yeah. But I have um, ADD. So I probably only caught half of it and I was probably so sad. At, you know, that. Fair. Fair. But, um, yeah. Gosh, that, that to me, there's such a, world of difference between book one and book two. And I'm sort of curious to see what people are going to say who have read book one, and then we'll go ahead and read book two, because the intention with book one, when I was writing it was not to publish a book. It was literally just a diary, me sort of just, you know, regurgitating my own fears, thoughts, resentment, everything down onto paper to just get it out and process it. Right. And, and something I kind of like in that too, is if you've had a bad day at work, for example, you, you know, talk about it with a friend or a loved one or whatever. And I, I think the process of getting the words out and getting out your frustration does help you 
process and move on. So that's exactly what the journal entries in book one were at the time. And then as that year went on and I started chatting with my wonderful therapist, you know, the, the idea kind of, you know, congealed, coagulated that like, yeah, maybe it would make sense to share this. Um, and, and at first, even too, that was just going to be a small little ebook. I wasn't going right. to have a designer or an editor and that sort of, you know, churned over into like, why not? Why, why not put more effort in and, and bring a designer on, bring an editor on and, and really go for it. And, and I did. Uh, and then, and then I thought like, that was it. Yay. I wrote a book. I beat cancer. Go team Kim. And then the following year, my blood work started coming back a little suspect and we weren't sure if anything was wrong. And that's sort of when book two picks up is it's eight months, I think, later after chemo ended things were good and then yeah book two sort of just rolls into like oh we're kind of keeping an eye on my blood work and we're not really sure kind of don't like what we see and then it very quickly spirals into like crap (laughs) yes and so we should this might be a good time to mention you're in a pretty good place right now right you know i don't want i know i'm not trying to like uh, like be like go on some hippie shit here, but like just to, you know, put people at ease who I'm sure are already in love with you because you, you, you can make friends and at a toll at a freaking toll booth, but um, you're doing pretty well right now. Thank you. Yes. And, and, and actually as I'm stepping into nursing school, I am very, very paying close attention to HIPAA. I just had to do a bunch of modules on HIPAA. So I appreciate the mention, Hey, HIPAA <laughs> totally being compliant. What's up guys. Um, so, uh, but yes, thank you for asking. I, I am doing great now. Um, at, at the end of book two, uh, it, it wraps up in October of 2019. I think just as I was getting like my double mastectomy, I think, I think that's right. I've had so many surgeries now. I kind of can't keep track, but book two seemed like it ended at a great place in that book one was just coming out. I was getting like this breast surgery I've been waiting for. And it seems like cool. This is kind of like that moment in like the sitcom where it all wraps up nice. It didn't wrap up nice. Uh, cancer came back again and again in my liver. Um, I had to get breast reconstructions because I had like collapsed breast pockets and yeah, I, it, gosh, I think as of right now, I've had like nine surgeries. I've been under anesthesia 11 times. I had 24 chemo sessions. I had a dose of radiation. So the laundry list got real long after book two wraps up. So it's kind of funny, but I'm like, I'm not writing book three. We are done. We are good. Picking a yeah. fork in this. Hopefully cancer is not like she's got another book in her. You know, like, that would be the, oh my gosh. Yeah. You have other books. You have other books in you. Like you, I mean, I, I know that I, you're such a good writer that I know that there's other things I'm sure you'd probably love to write, you know? Yeah, actually um, I have like a half finished kind of, how do I, how do I say this? Uh, I have a half finished saucier book, um, spicy, risque. What's, I'm not sure the classy way to word this in case my mom's watching. Um, it's, it's kind of like a collection of dating, uh, stories and it has kind of like a custom cocktail recipe to oh, go along with yes, one. About that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then you go back and read that. I, I, I my writing mentor, who is a, a professor of mine, who's now a good friend and, and a mentor, uh, he, he's read that he was kind of like, you might want to put this under a pen name. So I thought of a pen name because 
if my parents read that, I I, uh, I don't think I could ever look them in the eye again. So yeah. I may do something with that at one point. But where my sights are very much set now is uh, I have this fiction story that I've been wanting to write since college, which, gosh, uh, if we can count back the years, I don't I know, know if we can count back that far. It must have been like the early 2000s. But I came up with this idea for a short story about this family. And they have these crazy secrets that are all sort of intertwined. And I put it down at some point. I think I got frustrated. I think I was trying to write it as either a film or TV show. And I'm not good at script writing. So I put it down and just let it collect dust for 18 years, 15 years, something like that. Then during the pandemic, I took an online writing workshop um, from the gentleman who edited both of my cancer memoirs. And he's a brilliant author and a brilliant teacher. And his uh, week long um, workshop was, you know, via Zoom. And it just put this whole new spark back into me to breathe yeah. new life into this story. And so now I'm uh, working on the character de development. I have kind of a timeline written out of all the events that are happening. I, I know these characters very well by now. And so I feel ready as I'm about to start a full-time nursing program when I won't have time uh, to start writing that. So you're, you're doing something bad to me now. Cause you're setting, you're reminding me that I have a book from back then. I think I used to send you passages to it that I had about a hundred thousand words written of. And now I'm like, I wonder if that thing can be saved. Of course it can. Yeah. It was I, called yeah. Cloverleaf spider dove was the name of the book, which that might, I know it's ridiculous. Does it deliver what it promises to that title? I, I don't think, I don't know if you can. I don't know. I should put that into like an AI, AI, AI art thing and see what it spits out because it's it's meaningless. I mean, I um, feel like that if you did that with the AI art, you might just have your cover done right there. Yeah, right? I know. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, um, I feel like just mentioning that title is like, nah, let's not work on that. <laughs> Listen, titles can be reworked, okay? As long as the content is exciting, that's all that matters. So, yeah, you know. Yeah. But um, it is funny, though, because, I mean, I I um, I finished my album, Drinking Songs for Children, which will be out next year. And a bunch of that music is is stuff not only that I wrote back in the day, but recorded. Like there's one song on it where the first verse I I wrote and recorded when I was like 28 and 27. And the second verse I wrote and recorded like last year at the age of like 42. And it, that was sort of the idea of the of the album is that it, it's like the, the Drinking Songs for Children is about like arrested development in some ways. So it's trying to play off of those different ideas so you know yeah. it's like some people I, I in the podcast i've talked to different people here about their relationship with their art in the, from the past and it, there's a very wide range like some people are so embarrassed by it but usually you can find some good stuff i mean you find a different version of you who doesn't think the same way but when you reconnect with that there's something powerful can happen there you know sure and i kind of like what you said about how you know, you, you wrote the original part of that or the first part of that, what you 27, 28, and then you get to the next one, you know, last year or whatever, right? Like, yeah. so there's this giant well of time that goes on in between. And it's funny because I think, you know, as artists, we always sort of evolve, right? And, and, and just grow. So I think it's kind of fascinating to sort of meld where you are at and what your perspective was and what your creative right. process was from back in the day with what it is now. 
You know what's funny about that? And we'll get back to what we're here to talk about in a minute, but it's just triggered this thing. So when I wrote the first verse of it, it was what I consider to be probably the best verse that I'd ever written. It was the song Garden State Syndrome back then. And I named it that because I had taken a day off of work because I was so depressed I couldn't get out of bed. And I'd never seen the movie Garden State, but I put it on and that was a movie about being so depressed you can't get out of bed. And he, well, there was a line in it that just triggered something in me and I just hit pause and I wrote the entire verse. It's a really long verse, like basically write that. And that was like what I considered the best, one of the best verses I've ever written. And then cut to this year, that was the last song for the album. Somebody else was originally on it and they decided they didn't want their old thing out there, which is totally fine. And then the guy I was working with is like, look, we have to get this done ASAP because my, there was some technical reasons why we had to get the album done ASAP. And that was all that was left. And I once again, wrote it out almost in real time, like I did last time. And that's like never happened in between, but there must've been some sort of sonic connection there. So. Definitely. Yeah. I, I'm sure there was some part of, you know, your psyche or w- whatever it was that was like tapping into like, oh, right. And it kind of bridges everything together. And I think that's like kind of beautiful. Yeah. All right. Less me, more you. We, I haven't even mentioned here the topic that you chose. Um, it is, I have the the vinyl here. Tignat- oh my gosh. Signatoro. Yeah. Uh, her live album, which I would have assumed it was live. So I'm glad I looked it up. It's, uh, it's as Wikipedia told me, pronounced live. Um, so I'm going to yeah. give you the quick reading here off of Wikipedia, just so we can get the background here. People who don't know. Live is a second album by American comedian Tig Notaro. That's how you pronounce that. I'm Notaro. Tig Notaro, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. It's a deeply personal set performed just four days after Notaro was, di- I think I just said it wrong there, was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer. The album was first released as a download on Louis C.K.'s website. Fuck Louis C.K. in 2012. It was the first release that C.K. featured on his website by comedian other than himself that was no longer available, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so this was a set that she did right after she found out that she had cancer. And it was, you would have to imagine, largely improv because she, you know, as much as you can plan a set with two days when you receive news like that. So it was a very special moment in time um, I, I, I had always heard this existed. I had never heard it before. It was nominated for, I think maybe Grammy comedy album of the year that year, but lost out to Kathy Griffin. Oh. Um, so they don't always get it right. <laughs> I'm yeah. so mad at Mark Cohen be naughty by nature for best hip hop group in 1991 in the Grammys, but I'll get over it. Um, <laughs> So I, I, when I put this on, it, it's different now because we know Tig's doing a lot better, right. but, um, wow. You, what, what do you have to say about this? Yeah, I uh, just, just that. Wow. Um, it, that album was so incredibly profound for me because this, the story is, and I can't, I don't know if I included that in my first book, but I get my own diagnosis and it's just the biggest shock ever. Cause I was 36. I was in otherwise good health at the time. I thought I had no family history of cancer. We later found out there are a couple of people, but you know, as far as we knew at the time, there's zero cancer in my family. So my diagnosis couldn't have come as a bigger shock. So at the time I have a full-time job as a marketing manager for a tech startup, which I loved that job was off my bosses worked with like the coolest, coolest people. And um, gosh, it was like a day or two or three. It was very soon right after I got the actual news. And I was like, 
you know, shoot, I'm gonna have to still like commute to work and like try and live a normal life among chemo and surgeries. So John, my awesome boyfriend at the time, and I went to Amoeba Records in Los Angeles. And I see, yeah, you know Amoeba, I'm sure. Um, So we were like, you know what, let's like, find some comedy albums. I'll start listening to comedy on the way to work. Um, Got some kind of like meditation related things. Just, just feel good things basically was, was the goal, right? Anything to cheer myself up, music, comedy, meditations, whatever. So I ended up going to the comedy section and just kind of picking out a bunch of stuff and some um, comedians I knew some I didn't, but I just got a, a good, a good pile of them. So Right after that, I'm doing the like 45 minute commute to work and I throw in TIG CD and, you know, this was so brand new. I I still didn't even have time to digest the fact that like, oh my God, I have like stage three cancer and starting chemo like now and my hair is going to fall out and I'm going to lose a bunch of my organs. I'm like, oh God. Right. So still, I think it it was still so somber because it was still so new. And so I throw Tig's CD in my CD player and I'm driving. She starts, she's like, you know, she opens up with like, you know, hey guys, I have cancer. And then she kind of just like does these deep sighs. And I was like, okay, I feel that same. And she was like, you know, with humor, the, the formula of comedy equals tragedy plus time. I'm just in tragedy right now. And I was like, me too. And so like, everybody's laughing. And I was like, wait, like, is it okay to right. laugh? And so like, you know, as the jokes are rolling on and it is so raw and so real. And like you said, much of it does seem like improv because how could you write a whole set, right? When it was that, that new. But I really started to like relax as that set was going on when I'm driving to work. Cause I'm thinking like, good grief, like, it is scary. And I know exactly how she feels. Um, and she's laughing at it. So like, does that mean I can laugh at it too? And so that really was a poignant moment showing me that like, you can cope with humor. And as much as you hear it, that I needed to feel it. And that is the moment that made me feel it like, okay, this does suck. And it is scary as hell. But like, I'm just going to try and laugh as much as I can and crack jokes as much as I can. And I did. And that moment set the tone for like literally the next like five years when I was going up and down and up and down with all my stuff. You know, what's interesting about, I listened to the set again last night. And so obviously, you know, you related very much to TIG, but um, in a way, I, the audience takes a journey that you can very much hear when you listen to that set. And, if, mm-hmm. and I, as somebody who have not had have dealt with this through you, not myself, um, has been the audience to this. And, and it, I really, it occurred to me that at first the audience is a little taken aback and don't know how to react. Mm-hmm. And then you hear them kind of come on board and then you hear them sort of listen and then support her so much by the end. And I think it felt like there was a lesson there because for me, you know, that you don't know how you're going to react when someone tells you this. I remember exactly where I was when you told me I was at the CVS in Cambridge by Harvard Square. And I left there and you called me and I, I don't know where I was walking, but I was walking up Mass Ave. And I remember the exact set of steps that I stopped on. And every time I go and buy it after, I thought of you. Like, I remember like it was yesterday. Wow. Yeah. And wow. it's oh like, goodness, oh my God, that's so crazy. Really? Wow. Yeah. 
Um, but like in the audience by the end, like, so to me, there was sort of a lesson or reminder there in the audience, because at first they didn't know what to say. And that was okay. Cause it was something that they didn't expect to hear, but yeah. they, but what they did is they listened, they listened and they learned and then they supported her at the end. And I think there's a lesson there for how people in my situation can show their support to people in your situation. I think that's such a key point. And in fact, um, just a couple of days ago, um, I did a, a different podcast interview with uh, John Dudakis, who um, is who I mentioned earlier, I think probably not by name, but he's the one he edited both of my um, uh, cancer memoirs. And he's now a very, very good friend. And this kind of exact topic came up and, and I, I sort of just said it in passing, but he's like, wait, no, let's talk about this for a minute, which is yeah, like people don't know how to react. And I acknowledge that too, because before my diagnosis, if someone said that to me, I didn't know how to react. What do you say? Right. It's like, as I think it's human nature to want to say something comforting and, and, and offer support and encouragement, but like, what do you say to someone that has bad news? Right. Do you just say like, you know, they'll be in my thoughts or be thinking of you, or you got this, or, you know, the old, God doesn't throw you more than you can handle cringe or, uh, we'll get you know, to that in a minute. <laughs> oh God, cringe, cringe. Um, but my takeaway that I offered and I, and I do stand by this and I've practiced this as well. And I'll tell you how is I think instead of trying to brush over someone's pain or, or bad news by, by throwing out all of these positive things, which again, I know when you don't know what to say, that's what we just revert to, but if I can give any advice, I would say, just listen, like you said, make someone feel heard yes. and understood. Right. And and here's an example that I, I shared with John on the other podcast as well is um, a good buddy of mine, unfortunately had stage four colon cancer and passed away. Um, I think uh, earlier this year or last year. Um, and it, it was, it was difficult. Um, she knew her days were, limited toward the end and she still somehow had a smile on her face and so um the last time we met up we got coffee and just kind of chit-chatted and I remember very clearly thinking like god I wish there was something I could say to to lift her up or 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 say something positive but you kind of can't so all I could do is just listen and just acknowledge what she's saying right and you know yeah, that does suck. Or God, this is scary. Or, you know, a lot more swear words. Or yeah, this does effing SSF. You know what I'm saying? Right. But just make that person feel heard right. and, and acknowledge that like, yo, I understand that you must be terrified and this sucks. Right. You're sort of there to give that person a moment where they don't feel so alone. That's and so that's sort of what your responsibility is in that moment and what, 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 not I mean, responsibility is the best word. That's what the person is looking for. And if it's someone that's you care exactly about, and, do your best to do that. Yes. And I could not have worded that better myself is, is just, it, it's like sort of the verbal version of like coming to sit next to me and like putting your arm around right. me. Right. You're just there with me. Gosh. Yes. Just right. like meet me in my pain for a minute, if you don't mind. Right. right. I think like that's the biggest way you can support someone. And that means a lot in the moment when you're going through those tough times. Yeah. Just be willing to sit with, sit with it with them and, you know, totally. help I think them process. That, 
Exactly. And I, and I think the people that are more articulate than I call it like holding space for someone, I think. Right. I think that, yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually, I don't, I think I've heard that, but I've never really thought about it. You know, I think that's like legit what it means is like you're holding space to like sit together in that dark moment. And yeah. I'm going to Google that, that means- later. And it's probably gonna be like a sex term or something. But <laughs> the British <laughs> say holding space for. <laughs> yeah. I mean, educate me um but yeah so uh, exactly that 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 means the world to someone yeah so i mean this and it's this album has a lot of laughs in it and you know i i want to at least acknowledge here like you know we're talking about this in in the um the context of cancer but tignatara was a really really talented amazing human being um she this is an artistic achievement as much as it is a um as you know the achievement of the soul but she achieved something artistically here because for the audience to take that journey she had to take them on that journey when she was in a very difficult place and i think she deserves a tremendous amount of credit for that i'll also say if you've never I can't remember the movie now, but it was a Zack Snyder movie that went straight to Netflix where Dave Bautista was going to Vegas, whatever. And she plays a helicopter pilot. And it's like it's kind of a zombie movie. And she got put in at the end because Chris D'Elia did what Chris D'Elia did. And they pulled him out and then basically digitally put her in the movie. And I swear, she, she's a helicopter pilot. She's amazing. And it's just she brings such life to every scene she's in. I've never been so delighted to see an actor in a role before. All right, definitely gonna have to find out what that is and yeah. give that a watch. It was a, it was it came out like kind of like in the first year of the pandemic. I think it was um it was it was a decent movie. It was like an action movie, but her scenes are the best. So she is special. She she really is an unbelievable Very talent. Kind, um, yeah. To your point of what you're saying, excuse me about taking the journey. Sorry, taking the audience on a journey. I, re- I noticed I actually went back and listened to it recently as well, just so it was a little more fresh in my memory, but I'd forgotten in the beginning, she, you know, is kind of explaining like, oh, I just got this news. And I guess like one guy kept going like, oh, and she calls him out sort of. And she's yes. like, <laughs> she's like, man, like this guy keeps saying like, oh, and, and then eventually she was like, you'll be OK. Yeah, I'll be OK. Uh, I might uh, not be okay, but you'll be okay, you know, and, and just sort of, oh my God, I just thought it was so funny. Like in the beginning, right. He keeps saying like, oh, like it's so tragic, but I toward like at the end, you can like the, how hard they're clapping, how loud they're cheering. They're on her side with her. Right? right. So she did sort of take the audience from this, like, oh God, this is like a scary, tragic thing. Are we even allowed to laugh? The kind of nervous laughs in the audience. And then at the end, you like they're with her. It's amazing. So yeah, she really is a hundred percent talent. So what are there any particular parts of the performance that you think really triggered something in you or really um that really struck you, like particular jokes or particular lines? Yeah, they're <laughs> they're <laughs> sort of how um we just touch upon, you know people sort of don't know what to say. So they'll say like, oh, you know, thoughts and prayers or Oh gosh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Cringe, cringe, cringe. There's no scientific evidence of that. Uh, and like, maybe like, don't say the word "kill" to someone that has cancer. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, don't want to tell you how to live your life, but yikes. Um, so, uh, Tig had said, uh, this someone said, like, you know, uh, you know, rest assured, God never gives you, you know, more than you can handle. Oh, so that guy. Like, then, you know, I, I, I picture God being like, you know what? think she can handle a little more 
like, oh, the, that that completely resonated yeah. with me. And the angels like, are like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the angel's like, yeah, you sure? And God's like, hey, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think she's done. I think she can handle just yeah. a little bit more. Because let me tell you, that is how I felt many times. Like every time I thought things were fine and I was stable, like the rug would get pulled out under me again, and I was like, oh my god. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. even up till this last surgery I had was October twenty twenty one. So it was just over a year and a couple of months ago. That was my last and most recent one. Um, and yeah, we're confident slash very hopeful that that is the last one forever. But that, that, God, that being, God's plan is complete. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I know you think I can handle more, but I, I can't. I'm done. Um, that ended up being the most brutal out of all of them. Like I had the hysterectomy and they pull out all my organs. And I was like, that was the worst pain I've ever been in. You know, and then I get you know, this wretched like infection when I had my, um, breast surgery and I was like, Oh my God, no, this is the worst pain I've ever been in. And then I get this massive liver surgery in October of 2021. And that surgery was like, (laughs) get ready. And that ended up being the worst one. So it's kind of like every time you think, yeah, like things are, then they're like, yeah, but so that, that line definitely, uh, resonated with me, but I'm still here. You know, we get through these things and just kind of keep trucking, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I will say as someone who's known you for a long time, you, you seem to have had more life in you since, since you've dealt with this, like you've seemed to have made, you know, it's, I, I see in you that you've made more time, more, more use of the time that you have, um, yes. which is very inspiring. It's inspired me to do the same. Um, I'm glad. Yeah. Um, someone's always been very personally inspiring to me. You know, you've always been very motivating to me in both the words you've said and the actions you take. So I appreciate that. Oh, I appreciate that. That's that's kind. And and I I thank you for that. And and I I, I do think there is something to that. Um, you know, as, as much as cancer took and took and took and took, it took my identity, it took like my physical self, it took my mental health, it took everything. You know, I lost my job, not because of cancer, but I felt like I had nothing. Um then, you know, I recover and then I have to go through this other surgery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to nine surgeries later. But I, I like at some point along the line, I think I realized like, I can't wait for like everything to be stable and amazing to like do stuff. Right. Otherwise I would have just started like now after five years, but I didn't. So I think that was like one of my big takeaways was like, okay, start taking care of yourself better, which I did. I, I cut way down with drinking. I eat really well. Um, I, I work out a lot. Um, I try and prioritize sleep and hydration and more than anything else, mental health and meditation and journaling and taking care of like, you know, my mental health and my spirit sort of, I was very much neglecting that before my diagnosis. And gosh, I, I continue seeing my therapist for all this time, we took a small break, like in the recent months, but we're actually starting up again as I'm starting school again, because I think it's so important to have a practice to just maintain your mental health. You know, I, I like seeing mental health talked about more um, in, in mainstream and the sort of taboo being removed from it, because it's so crucial. I don't think you can have total health without mental health. 
I was so, talking to a friend earlier today about mental health and we were talking about that. He's going through some an issue with his family and we were talking about therapy. And I'm like, the thing you have to think about therapy is that we're not always objective about figuring out what's best. Like we're basically paying somebody to look out for our best interests because we're not always good at that. Right. And it's, it's essentially like, sometimes you need to go, I need somebody objectively to, to tell me if the things I'm doing are really in my best interest or not. <laughs> and that's how the way I've kind of treated therapy. And I've always gotten a lot out of it, you know? Agreed. I, if there's one thing I, I could take away from, you know, looking back and being like, gosh, I should have done that, which I know you shouldn't should yourself, but I should have started therapy way earlier. The, the way I used to perceive things, the way I used to talk to myself, it was just so toxic, but I couldn't see that. And now even now, now I have the wherewithal and awareness. I still do talk to myself terribly, but now I'm at least aware. And I'm like, no, that's not true. Right. Stop in your tracks and now say something nice to yourself. And that's so terribly uncomfortable. <laughs> Cause there's, there's a thing that I like to say is that if, if I, um, if I talk to other people, the way I talk to myself, I wouldn't have any friends. That's I've, I, yeah, that exact thing. I, I've thought so many times to myself, like, Oh my gosh, you are an awful writer. Oh my gosh. Like physically, like, ew, like, yeah. you know, people don't like you. What's wrong with you. Then you stop and you're like, would you say that to your friend? Of course not. So you have to really, but the awareness, that's what matters, right? Is just stopping it in its tracks. Cause I think intrusive thoughts, you know, it's hard to control them coming in, yeah. but once you recognize them and you put the pause on it, and to sort of wash that back is forcing yourself to say something nice. Ooh, I hate that part, but I do it. Yeah. Because gosh, how awful and awkward is it to look in the mirror and be like, you're so awesome. I know. It's it's tough, you know, especially because so I, as I'm, I'm working on this film, even this podcast and stuff, I was talking to a coach on, on these different things. And they talked about how important it is just to do things in the mirror. And just, you know, it, it, it's really, it's very helpful. And it is also very uncomfortable. It is. You know, to There's, practice talking in the mirror to yourself or, you know, it's, totally. it's tough. And one thing, and I, I actually, I, I don't think I've ever admitted this out loud. So this is like a. This is, a, this is an, an exclusive. Um, what, I can't remember the name of Articulate Ox exclusive. <laughs> Obnoxious Ox exclusive. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is, this is an exclusive. Um. I'm, I'm taking a sip so I can spit it out when I say it, when you say it. Oh, well, you might. Uh, no, it's not so shocking, but uh, it, oh gosh, but I loathe to admit this, but why, why not share it, right? We're, we're here to share is uh, I've very much struggled with like physical self-image just because of like scars upon scars upon scars. And the irony is I'm, I'm like in the best shape of my life at 42. So I'm weightlifting like five, six days a week. I'm eating well and, and taking care of my body physically. And yet you know, it, I think in most of it stems from like my organs coming out and then I got a stomach scar, then another stomach scar, and then these breast scars. And there's just scar, 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 scars on top of scars. So, uh, it, it became really difficult for me to, to look in the mirror. And, um, this part is in my book, which is like for a full year, I, I like showered and used the, the bathroom with the lights off. I, f I think it was a full year. And finally I'd like, force myself to go in and take a shower with the lights on. And it, it was, Oh, it was just so, so hard, but to kind of move beyond that, I, I did that as I started looking in the mirror and being like, like, Oh gosh, even with no clothes on, like on the way to the shower, like forcing myself to look at myself and being like, no, like you look good. 
And it felt so fake and it felt so wrong because I knew inside I hated how I looked. But here was kind of like, <laughs> it was like the turning point that made it a little more palatable is you kind of just like do like a booty shake and like sing a really like silly song or whatever, whatever helps you kind of just like, you know, do the little booty pop or whatever and do a little dance in the mirror that actually helped warm it up into being like, ah, all right, actually that's not so bad. So say what you will, but a little booty pop, if you're not wearing any clothes, you want to feel a little bit better. I think the right song for that is um, party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. Actually, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I don't know. I, sometimes it was Usher just being like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I guess I it's, it's dealer's choice. <laughs> yeah, whatever works, honestly. But yeah, I, yeah. I, can, I can totally relate to that too. I've, I've dealt with, I mean, different in different sort of body issues. It's it's the the difficulty in looking at yourself, the difficulty in, in what you think you see and what other people see. It's, um, it's a, uh, yeah. Self-love is a hard thing. It, it is. It is. And right. you know what, too, is I think one of the biggest keys to mental health starts with self-awareness. And I, I think you're a pretty self-aware person. And I think for me, some of my biggest victories have come from, you know, becoming pretty self-aware and then realizing, you know, where I was uncomfortable and then pushing myself through that stuff. Is that basically recognizing, okay, this is something I, I learned a while ago. Most things in life either get worse or they get better. They very rarely stay the same. So when you look at things in your life and you go, okay, this may not be horrible now, but do I want it to get worse? Right. If not, then I need to make it better. And right. I've taken that attitude towards a lot of changes that I, I wanted to make in my life. And I've found it to be, you know, fairly successful. So Good for you. And I think that, I think you just nailed it is I think a lot of self growth, you know, starts with that awareness and it's so uncomfortable again, to just like look inward and look at yourself and being like, what do I want to change? Right. What do I want to better about myself? But if you can be really honest with yourself about things that you'd like to improve, I think like, and you work on those things and then those things improve, like what's more awesome than that is, is I think like fulfillment and excitement and true joy lies from, you know, in that growth or or grows from that growth. So. And um, that word, the word joy, you just said is a word that I think about a lot. Like that's, that's what I try to strive for in my life is, is, is joy. Like the moments where I can say that I am feeling pure joy. I mean, that's what I strive for now. And, you know, it's, I don't know. I never thought about the the concept of joy until a few years ago. Yeah. Same. Yeah. um, Yeah. If you can like find those moments and just take a super quick pause button and be like, wow, I feel joy right now. Like, I don't think there's anything better in life than, yeah. than feeling joy. Cause I it's fleeting. That- and it's funny, even if you say that, so it used to be, you know, what gave me joy is when like a new Marvel movie came out and I took like a decent dose of edibles and went to go see, it. I literally le- felt joy the entire time with the theater feeling joy. Now I can do that same thing. And I had a good time, but it's not joy. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess we got it. And it, obviously it's like, that's, you know, it, it touches on so many things in my life and my childhood and stuff and it all combines, but you know, those right. moments are important. You know, it's important to take that time for yourself. For sure. And, but actually you made a good point though. You use the word fleeting, right? And I think, I don't think anyone feels joy a hundred percent of the time. I think right, it a lot be of like, right. 
but also too, like, then it just, you get used to it sort of like at a wonderful coffee table that you love and is amazing. But when you walk by it every single day or you put your feet on it every day, it kind of loses its right or bang your ankle into it. Like I do. Yeah. Yeah. And then you become mad at that awesome coffee table. But I think what gives sort of weight and definition to joy are the crazy dark moments, which like those can suck a lot, but like also sort of highlight when you do feel joy. And I think you can work on feeling joy more often in your life. Um, that like, that's the goal. Right. But I think it's impossible to strive. No one feels joy all the time. And it wouldn't even feel like joy because it, it that then just becomes the norm. And that's, I don't think, right. I don't think that's possible. Well, but- I sometimes think of it in terms of like, you need, they say in life that you need to be ready for opportunities to come up. Sure. You know, because it's basically be your, you have to be at your best when the opportunities come up, you can, you can make the most of those. And I think by taking care of yourself and being eating healthy and being on a good sleep schedule and doing exercise, you're putting yourself in a position mentally that when joy is adjacent, you can meet it halfway. And I think if sometimes when you're not doing those things, there are joyful things around you that you're just not, you're not able to latch onto. Agreed. This has been my experience. You know, yeah, I think I think that's completely true. And also you need to give yourself a fighting chance. I think Jim Carrey said something about that, about depression. And if you're not doing you need to be doing those basic things to give yourself the fighting chance against depression. I agree. And I'm not sure if we mentioned too, like in addition to eating well and sleeping and hydration and taking care of that, I think that mental component is a giant piece of that as well, because I think if you're doing all of those physical things to take care of your body, like obviously that's extremely crucial, but if you're neglecting the work on trying to, I I mean, everybody's got their own thing, but I think like journaling is just so amazing for realizing things and helping you get to a place where you are more self-aware or, you know, I I think meditation works great as well, but if that's also not for everyone, so be it. But sitting quietly I think it trying to remove some of the clutter and some of the noise because we're constantly being bombarded with social media and movies and TV and entertainment and like everything. I think taking quiet time to sort of like let that fade into the background. So you do become more self-aware. I think those things like just stay hand in hand with the physical betterment. So since you admitted something that you haven't admitted, you, that just triggered something to me that I'm, I'm going to share something kind of personal about that, that relates to what you just said. Um, because I, I hadn't really thought of this and I'm glad you mentioned that the mental aspect is important as everything else I just said, because it reminded me of what happened to me early in um, quarantine with, with COVID. And I was in a pretty small apartment, just myself and two cats. And I've been used to working out all the time. And um, I just could no longer go to the gym because for obvious reasons, everything was shut down. So I got one of these kind of under the desk elliptical machines that are really just designed to be going at like a kind of a slow clip during the day. But I treated it like I was literally timing myself every day, trying to beat it, like shave seconds off my one hour score every day. And it's like, it's just me and and like, literally I'm taking this thing past its level. Like it it won't, I know I'm going faster, but I won't record it. you know, I got good calves. What do you want? I worked on them. But, right. um, but as it was going, like the combination of the angle and the machine, me not using it right was kind of, was sort of like fucking up my left heel and it was hurting more every time I did it. And I was just like, well, I'll just put a bandage on it and I'll whatever. But no, the OCD in me wouldn't allow that me to stop. 
So I kept doing it and doing it. And eventually I got to a point and I think it was when I moved, when I, I moved from the apartment out here, that was sort of when I started taking care of myself mentally. That was a real, and part of this helped me. I ended up moving to the apartment and buying a house and further out in the, the boonies. But um, I still, for I had to end up wearing like a, like a tape on my foot for three months because it wouldn't heal. And like, it was essentially where I was doing, I was eating healthy. I was taking care of myself physically. I was right. doing all the other stuff I just said, but I wasn't taking care of myself mentally. And I essentially had a physical wound from a mental health issue. Yeah. And I was realizing that was, a, was a sort of, a, okay, well, we need to just uh, take a step back for a minute. You know? Yeah. And that's a key realization, right? Is, uh, you know, the body speaking to you physically because something mentally kind of wasn't totally in check right and i yeah. think that's sort of a example i think where if you do neglect your mental health it does manifest itself right there's one thing that's always intrigued me is you know um you know cardiac uh issues and and you know like heart problems being like so prevalent in this uh you know in this country yeah. and you know, obviously food can contribute to that, but stress, right. They say stress kills, right. Heart attacks, cord, you know, the cortisol in your body. And I always found it so unreal that like something that is mental anxiety becomes physical. Your pulse starts racing. I've had more panic attacks than I could count. And it still blows my mind that something that's completely not physical, just thoughts can get so out of control and manifest itself. So, you know, exponentially that like I'm gasping for air and I'm crying and my heart is pounding. And it's I'm like, like, your body's having a migraine. Yeah. yeah. It is, you know? It's that level of uncontrol. I've had those panic attacks where I couldn't stop my teeth from chattering and I couldn't stop shaking. Wow. Like a physically, yeah. I physically, I couldn't, I, my teeth would be chattering and I couldn't stop shaking from nothing, just my brain. You know, I, mean, I haven't had them in years, but like they were really yeah. scary for a while. You know, it's pretty wild how powerful they can be. Um, I, I it sounds like yours are more in control. Mine are also more in control now. But um, I, again, I do like that we're having bigger conversations on a larger scale about the importance of mental health. And I remember one time I've gotten to the point now where I can feel the panic attacks coming on. So I can yeah. kind of squash them down before they get as out of control as they used to. But I remember one time I was frantically, you know, it, it was starting, it was getting bad. So I was frantically starting. Um, uh, sorry, I was looking for a, a meditation, not just for panic attacks, but to listen to in the middle of a panic attack. And I found one. So I like frantically was like, play, 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 play. And the lady's voice was just so calming. And I remember what she had said is, you know, what you're experiencing um, is nothing more, you know, than thoughts that like got a little bit out of control. You're, you're like, you're fine. You're just having, your body's having just a reaction from your thoughts. And that's something that you can, you know, control and make better. So you are okay. And I was like, oh my God, if this lady on YouTube says I'm okay, then I must be okay. <laughs> 
And I was. I ended yeah, up being she was right. You know, it's right. funny too. Um, so one other little tip for people that worked for me is that you know that technique they say that if you can't sleep, I haven't done this in a few years, but there's a breathing technique where you like breathe in for a certain number of seconds, hold it in, and then exhale for a certain number and repeat it. And it's yep. it, it takes 15 seconds to do. So you do it for it, it it drastically decreases the amount of breaths you're taking a minute. I, be, I believe that's what it is. And it helps calm your body down, helps put you to sleep. So yeah. I started doing that when I was having a panic attack because I knew that I was doing something to help relax my body that like, because your breathing is so central to everything you do. That to me was, and sometimes it was literally very, I was fighting physically against the sensations of the shaking to do it. But it was either that or just accept how bad it was going to feel. And that was, I could fight back. And that's what did it. So Sure. 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 Yeah. I mean, anxiety is, it's a brutal thing and it a is, lot yeah. of people, you know, struggle with it and with all the chaos that's been happening like externally, you know, it's, I think it's no surprise that people are just having, having a rough go at it. And, you know, that's just external stuff. You know, then you bring in things like worries about finances and relationships right. and health issues. My goodness. Like it's, it's a lot, but there's so much to be anxious about. Like if you're not anxious, you're not really paying attention. (laughs) What do I want to stress about today? There's so much to choose from. At some point, not having anxiety will be what people go to the doctor for. That they're like, they go to the doctor and they're like, all right, I know I should be losing my mind right now, but right. Yeah. What's, what's what's wrong with me? I'm not. I'm calm. Yeah. Like like I've never seen someone like you before. an enigma i know how do i get to do what that person is doing like yeah but well hopefully we can all uh take a breath take a collective uh inhale pause exhale together and and move into a exciting new year and and be healthy this year together yeah definitely um one more question for you so in terms of um your uh how did this change you you change your career, career trajectory uh due to this you talk a little about that, like how uh, some of the experiences that you had in dealing with the um, the hospital that you dealt with in California when you were out in the Los Angeles area were really very touching. And um, some of the energy that you brought to it and it, it, you could see it, it struck me. And this is something that I don't really want to. I've always found that the more energy and enthusiasm you bring, a person brings their medical appointments, the more they get out of it. And I know it's not like they're going to give you better care because you get a rainbow wig on, but energy is infectious. Yeah, it is. So how, was there a journey there between your relationship you had with the people that you met along the way in your recovery and your treatment and how you decided to change the path of your own career? That is such a great question. I, it was such a gradual choice to go from, you know, my prior career as a digital advertising copywriter in, into healthcare. And actually, one of the conversations was a conversation I had with you back in, I think it was like two years ago now when I made this decision to start pursuing healthcare. Oh, and- yeah, I remember now. Yeah. I remember that conversation. That was a very poignant conversation. Yeah, that was right me. when I moved in here. I think I I just made a big mental health move myself. So I was yeah. Like, and yeah. I I think part of what you you back to what we were saying earlier, you made me feel so supported and heard and understood. Making this journey from you know a, a creative person with with creative uh, ideas and endeavors and and you know 
working in a, a different industry, but making it all just kind of work together and, and come together and still being able to do both things. And you, you made me feel so understood in that moment. And I felt so much more assured about switching from being a, a full-time creative copywriter into being a nurse. And the journey was very gradual in the sense that before I made that choice, I've always cherished my doctors and my nurses and all the healthcare workers that had, you know, any part in my journey because they made it so much easier. And, and to this day, I'm still in touch and very friendly with a good chunk of them, you know, uh, through text and social media and a couple of them in person still. Um, and so I've, I've always cherished those people as individuals, but also as part of, you know, this network that, that saved my life. And then time, you know, time goes on and then we get to the pandemic and I started sort of just asking the question to myself. I, I, I was very busy writing a bunch of cool ad campaigns, some of them actually for the medical industry and some of them, ironically, to promote a conference about the anti-cancer drug that I was myself taking. And I was like, this is interesting. It's, it's weird how that stuff lines up sometimes. It's really I was just right i was like oh my gosh i'm trying to like you know promote a conference for people to go to about a drug that has kept me alive good grief um yeah. so that, that's very cool again and i was a lot busier during the pandemic because everybody was moving their businesses online so there's a greater need for online copywriting but there was a very poignant week or month where i suddenly thought you know is this something i want to do for 10 20 30 more years is, is writing ad campaigns is that really what fills my heart. And I, especially I now that an AI chatbot can do that <laughs> in two seconds. For real, for real. I, that would have saved me a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and I kind of realized, like, I think I want to start more towards a career in healthcare. So for a while then it was like, well, okay, can I do writing and marketing in healthcare? So I kind of kicked that around and then it, you know, kind of came back to me like, no, I think I want to actually do something more and like take care of people. So then I thought about very seriously um, pursuing physical therapy for oncology patients. And I, I looked into that and that did seem to be the direction I was going to go. And then a, a buddy of mine actually, who did one of my surgeries, one of my best friends, said, I think actually like you might do well with nursing. Then I kicked that around. And then the conclusion was, yeah, it's, it's, it's time to be a nurse. I mean, I will say that whoever going to a doctor, going to a nurse can be a scary experience for a lot of people and who that person is makes a big difference. And I'd say anybody who is having a bad day and they're, and they're going in to see you, they're going to be lucky to have you as a nurse from a, from a personality perspective or how seriously you take everything. Like I would be, I would be excited that if the person jabbing me in the arm or doing whatever was you versus a lot of other people who have done that to me, so, you know. Fair, and, and thank you. And I, I appreciate that very much. And I, I hope to do for my future patients what my nurses and doctors have done for me. And I think that's where I find, I know this is going to be crazy going to nursing school and I'm walking into a very giant dumpster fire of a profession in terms of like nurses right. not getting the support they need, which we've seen for how many years now. Um, but as long as there's been nurses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, well, and exacerbated by the pandemic, right. but absolutely. Yep. Um, I, I think where I do find a moment of, of peace though, is 
is the idea of literally sort of just paying it forward and providing those moments of of assurance and of kindness and of love and of care to people that my my team did for me and I, I still remember just clear key moments from five years ago you know from my first chemo session and my second chemo session and this you know I forget so many details of so many things along the way but right. what I don't forget is how those people made me feel that's and- that's a huge thing is that people and I sorry to interrupt you but like you I had someone pass away from cancer a few years ago I have her picture right over there she was a co-worker of mine and um, I mean, I, I'll say her name, Bethany Whippen. She was one of the most wonderful people I've ever met. And I bumped into her twice after I left the office in a parking lot somewhere. And I don't remember what we talked about, but I both times I remember how I felt after and how like, and I was like, wow, I really just talking to her for a minute or two made me feel totally different. And yeah. and when she passed, like I, I had no idea she was even ill. Like I guess, she, you know, but like when she passed, it was just, it was it was a gut bunch because you those feelings just and I've lost a few people like that to cancer where it's like yeah. the people that really make you feel that certain way like you know when they're not there anymore it's you know it's a loss yeah. for everybody you know because if I mean if she made me feel that way she made everybody feel that way you know exactly and and that's it I think it's uh moments from middle school moments from high school you know, you may not remember words people say, but you can usually remember how they made you feel, right? Yeah. And I think therein lies some of the power in in trying to provide good health care. And especially, gosh, when it comes to like something as scary as cancer, I mean, as the patient, there's like nothing but like uncertainty and fear. So, you know, when your healthcare team, like something as simple as like one nurse held my hand and I was like, ah, thank you. You know, and I just felt so supported by her. And during one of my chemo sessions, uh, one of my buddies, I'm still in touch with him and I love him dearly. Um, he, he pulled out his, his cell phone and uh, showed me a picture of his dog. And I was like, okay, chemo can wait for a second. Can I see more pictures of your dog? And so like, he let me he so sweet. He handed me his phone and let me flip through his phone. And I was like, that just meant so much to me and yeah. it's stuff like that where you just, you don't forget it. So no. I, yeah, it's my turn. I want to pay it forward and, and do that for other people. I remember when I was a kid, I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. I had like scarlet fever and pneumonia at the same time. I was like a bubble boy. I was in the tent for like in the hospital for like part of first grade. And I remember they'd give me shots and they'd put me in this little booth and there's a picture of Hulk on one side and a picture of Captain America on the other side. And they'd be like, look at Hulk. And like, I, you know what? And I have a Hulk action figure that I bought like three months, like three months ago. You know, it's these people make, you know, it's, they see you at the, at these really medical people see you usually at your worst and sometimes at your best and they're there for you either way. And it's like, I have so much respect for what you're doing. And like I said, my mother's a nurse and it's like, you know, the fact that my mother's a nurse is not a reason why I respect nurses. That's like being like, oh, I have a mother. Why would I ever say that about women? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But But you get it. Yeah. Yeah. You deserve all the respect in the world. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. A lot of, a lot of 
heroes out there, honestly. So I had one other little off-topic thing I just thought of that I wanted to ask you. Because now when you mentioned LA, it triggered something. So I was you lived in Los Angeles for a long time, for probably close to almost 20 years, right? Or maybe just about 20. Actually, if not a tiny bit more, or, or no, just under. I think it was like 19 and a half, but yeah, almost 20 right. years. Now, anybody who's ever been to LA for 20 minutes comes out with some sort of ridiculous story. And I was and I was thinking about one. This isn't re- super ridiculous, but it always makes me laugh. And I was going to ask if you have any. So I'll give you a moment to think about it while I tell this quick one that you and I were having lunch one day. I forget where it was in Los Angeles. And someone walked by the table. It was a pretty empty restaurant. I look up and say to him, like, that guy looks like Dick Clark, but only younger. And then I look back over two seconds. And I'm like, oh, that is Dick Clark. <laughs> And I was like, it was such like, because everybody said he looked so young for his age. And it's like, literally, it just came out of me impulsively. And I'm like, oh, that fucking is him. Yeah, that's the thing with L.A. It's it's sort of known for, oh, that person looks like so-and-so that's famous. And then you take yeah. a beat and you're like, because it is so-and-so. Yeah. Like, that's. I had, that's I had another that? one where I was at the Grove and I was going to see either um, Jersey Girl or Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or something. I was by myself and I was getting a hot dog first. And I can hear the guy in front of me saying to the hot dog guy, he's like, scream, Deadwood. And he's rattling off these things. I'm like, these all seem like Timothy Oliphant things. I look up, I'm like, that's Timothy Oliphant. And I could tell that a second before the hot dog guy was like, where do I know you from? So he's just listing off things. Right. And yeah. It was such a rare thing where you're like, usually when you see a celebrity, they don't help you by listing off what they do. But like this guy <laughs> was like, yeah, that's that's him. <laughs> yeah that's yeah quite, that's quite a handsome man i must say too he, he was uh you know but. oh totally i i have a couple of good ones I, I mean my favorite one was uh jennifer carpenter and uh she was in front of me and my boyfriend john um you know at, at a grocery store we only had like margarita mix it was like 11 o'clock on a friday and she had a full cart and she turns around and she's like you guys can go ahead of me and we both kind of stood there like so we do go in front of her and then like he and I were like should we say something like we love her so much so we kind of quietly were like we loved you and Dexter like just yeah and then she was so sweet she chatted with us for like a good five you know six minutes but I think my favorite one is um oh gosh okay so I I was waiting tables in like 2004 it must have been and uh, there's this guy from Sex in the City, and now his name is escaping me, but like they call him the funky spunk guy. So he's in one episode with, how do we say this classy? Uh, unpleasant tasting. Yeah. You know. With funky spunk. Um, yes. Um, and he was with someone. Well, you don't know the medical who, term for that? You gotta, get, you gotta hit the books. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to look that up once I start nursing school. Um, and he was with someone that was like one of the main stars of the Eight Mile movie with Eminem. And I didn't, I, I, they were sitting together eating dinner. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, I loved you in Sex in the City. You're the funky spunk guy. And he was like, hi, how you doing? He introduces himself. So I get their food or their drinks or whatever. And I go back to, you know, the server station. And one of the other servers was like, oh my gosh, are you waiting on table five? That guy from Eight Mile? And I was like, who's that? And I think, yeah, like, I think the eight mile guy was like way more famous, but I was like, oh my God, who cares? I'm waiting on the funky spunk guy. And all of my coworkers were like, you must have made that guy's day. (laughs) Yeah. And all my coworkers are like, you're like the epitome of face palm right now. And I was like, what? It's sex in the city. (laughs) Yeah. 
there are definitely some some sort of like B or C level celebrities that better hope to never run into me in an airport. Like if you were in Twin Peaks or Tron, just know that I have questions <laughs> and I'm going to want to talk about it. Yeah, like especially be warned if it's like early in the morning and, you know, good old yeah. Tim is feeling chatty and uh, it's a it's an early flight and, you know, gotta, I'm usually gotta, pretty respectful when I see people like that in public, though. I usually don't like bother people. It's, you know, it's but yeah, but like respectful. I said, if you were in Twin Peaks, so we're going to talk. We're going to talk about no, it's it. fair game. Well, then yeah. it's fair game. So, yeah, you yeah. might be you might be changing your seat on the plane. And, you know. <laughs> like, get away from this guy. <laughs> It is funny, though, how there are certain things that kind of bring out that like childhoodness in all of us that we get stupidly excited over. You know, that's that's you know, it's it's okay to do that. That's something that like other generations didn't really have. You know, it's like we were some of the first people in the existence of humanity who get to experience those sort of feelings, you know, because our lives are so much easier than trying to hunt a buffalo with our parents, you know. Like, that is true. And even like our parents' generation, I couldn't imagine my dad, like, you know, Facebooking his favorite celebrity and writing a comment, you know. Right, uh, right. So I saw this beautiful moment yesterday in this. Um, this reminded me why sometimes I stay on Facebook that I'm in this, I'm in a couple of groups on Facebook that are sort of like, um, kind of like, kind of like maybe like making fun of boomers a little bit, like, um, stuff that people find elsewhere. And this one woman posted this thing about how her dad had started a cheese bread site that like he the, like basically where you, he was he was putting his photos of like melted cheese on bread and he had all these different things going he was like he told her that he there, there's only two other cheese bread sites on facebook and one had 70 viewers and one had 70 followers one had 100 and he wanted to beat them and after she posted it the guy was up over like 1500 and people were really, and it wasn't like the bullshit, like, oh, let's make fun of cheese, dad. Everybody was like really excited about this cheese bread. And like, you could tell that it really, and this guy had recently retired and he was like, he, 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 he joked to his daughter. He's like, I'm going to, you know, this is going to be my ticket to going viral and having a food blog. And it was just such a heartwarming little slice of life that I got to experience for like, you know, two and a half minutes of my day yesterday. That's making me smile again today. And it's just, you know, internet's not all bad. It's not. And now I kind of want to go check out this cheese bread page. I know. I think it's called cheese bread love. Um, so yeah, spread the word, you know, uh, definitely going to, we need more pure content like that. I feel more feel good things. Because the thing is you and I spend most of our, most of the interactions you and I have is like me liking a comment you made in the Rancho Relaxo Simpsons group on Facebook. And it was funny because now, like, I saw John pop up the other day and I saw some of my friends pop up. And I'm like, this really feels like home now. It's like a corner of the internet that most of the time actually feels nice, you know. Oh, I, I squealed with joy when I saw my brother post his first, like, you know, post in the in the Simpsons Rancho Relaxo group. And I was like, oh, yes. Like, that's actually, truthfully, I Facebook used to be, like, my go-to for everything. And I... The only time I kind of log on is to like check on what's going on with Rancho Relaxo and the Simpsons now, because again, feel good content, right? Uh, you know, what's funny is I actually, I probably don't want to admit this because people are going to unfollow me, but you know, the thing you can do where you can stay friends, but not see anybody's content. Unfollow. It, I think it, maybe it isn't. Yeah. It's not, it's, instead of unfriend, it's unfollow. Yeah. I yes. did that to almost everybody. 
So now when I go on, there's a few people who, since I've done it, I've become friends with it. I haven't done it to yet, but I treat, I try to make the Facebook experience just about those things that I know are going to be like, cause it's like, I don't, there's only so much of people's personal lives that like, I want to take on to my, it's like, it becomes mm-hmm. a lot, you know, positive yeah. or negative. And like, it's yeah. not like I'm not finding out when things happen to people, but like right. that has drastically improved my Facebook experience. Brilliant. I think I didn't think to do that. I only do that if someone like upsets me, I guess. But like, I didn't think to like really clean. It's the opposite. Way. Somebody has to really show their words to like Megan because I, oh, you, I, I didn't it. unfollow you. Like, there's people who okay. I know because they're irresponsible posters. Like, and I'll be honest, somebody posted something, a meme. Some someone I consider a friend posted a meme on Instagram a few weeks ago that I'm still thinking about. Like, um, that I'm still like, I like it's still rubbing me the wrong way. And yeah. if you know, you can be sensitive about that. Stuff. And some it's, it's made me think about things and it's actually been a positive experience thinking about it, but like, it's so easy to be set off by things on the internet. And I have a policy of you'll never find me in the comment section. Like you'll never find me arguing on the internet. Like that is, if you do, it's an imposter because I refuse to argue on the internet. I think that's probably feeding back into like taking care of your mental health because I mean, what? God, does that do is the yeah. thing. What good does it do? I mean, yeah, I, I I can't think of a time when someone has left one of those arguments feeling better about themselves. Right. Like, no one has a trophy shelf at home of their of their victories of winning arguments on the internet. It's yeah. all a draw. You've both lost. <laughs> exactly. And I don't know. It's such a yeah, it's such a mixed bag uh, with social media and like this hyper connectivity we have. But at the end of the day, don't we all just want to find joy, That's right? True. That's and be here. happy and just live a good life. And the people that do take the time to make arguments and nasty comments and stuff, it's like, I can't imagine that brings them joy. But I can't imagine what's going on. And I hope, hope those people find a way to, you know. Yeah. Go meditate. Uh, yeah. Go meditate. It's like, there's, yeah, there's no keyboard warrior awards. No, no. And let's hope they don't start one. unless they <laughs> That sounds like something that would be on like Spike TV. I saw that Dana White is having a slapping competition <laughs> where it's going to be, and this is, this is crazy. Okay. So this is for, after this, we, we can wrap it up, but he's starting something and it's probably already, actually this episode is coming in a few weeks. So I think it's just coming now where it's basically like UFC, except you only slap each other and they have training and all this stuff. But then the other day there was footage of him and his wife getting into a slap fight at a party when they were drunk. And I'm just like, what is with this dude and slapping? Like she slapped him first and he slapped her back. What? And then they started, go- I guess, and it's, the video's out there. I don't know. I've, I didn't see it. I just read about it. So go look it up. But then at the same time, he's pitching this slap championship thing. I'm like, what is happening? So I'll leave you on this for, for this point. You're going to want to go Google that as soon as possible. <laughs> right. But when you hear things like this, do you not think, oh my gosh, we're in the movie Idiocracy with Owen Wilson? I just saw that for the first time. Oh, wait, it's Owen Wilson, right? Yeah, it was oh. Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson, yeah. right. But is that is, is a slapping competition televised nonetheless? Not directly from that movie or something, right? Especially with all we know about like head trauma. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, really? <laughs> that can't be good for CTE. The amount of practice slaps you got to take. Like, it's, I don't know. Where Sometimes are we? 
I worry about humanity sometimes. Yeah, we're deep in the multiverse now. I mean, it's we like are. there's going to yeah. be like a kicking in the balls contest soon enough. I'm sure. Like that. How far off is that really? Like, oh, uh, if, if slapping is already a thing, that's not right. That's not too far behind. But we have to wrap this up on a positive note. How do we wrap this up on a positive <laughs> note? I, I tried to, and we did. One more, one more crazy um, Hollywood story. I was trying to think if there's any that that are that are good to share. One more holiday story? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I mean Hollywood story. Any oh, um, Hollywood, Hollywood. Yeah. Oh gosh, oh gosh, um, oh gosh. I'll share one quick one. I was at a show at the Troubadour, and um, I'm, I'm a huge Digital Underground fan, and I, I love them completely. And I was going there to see some kind of independent hip hop artist, the Perceptionist, and Murs. And this was years ago. And I'm at the bar sitting there and there's a guy and I'm by myself. There's a guy behind me, a big, tall black guy. And he's really macking on these two women. And I was like, this guy's voice is so familiar. I can't figure out who he is. And he's I'm not going to interrupt him because he's he's got stuff going on. And afterwards, um, Humpty Hump comes out in the middle of the show. And I was like, that was him. And I was like, in like Digital Underground, I can't really undersell how much of an influence they had on me in terms artistically and creatively and and like and i was like oh it was like it was better than meeting him sort of which is sort of yeah. having that experience you know so and i tried to get him on my album but unfortunately it literally i was in conversations with his manager right around the time he passed away and it didn't happen so oh my gosh well that's yeah. i mean that's a pretty hollywood story right there so yeah. that's a good <laughs> that's a good ribbon on the on the hollywood uh chapter right there yeah but yeah. i don't know so well here we are here we are it's been a pleasure kim i could talk to you forever um i can't wow we did go pretty long on this huh all yeah. right we'll cut out all your parts it'll just be my parts but, i mean <laughs> that would make it a lot more interesting to be honest but yeah. no man i appreciate you thank you for having me on here and yeah chatting so one more about... quick plug for your book um dear diary yeah. cancer's back give me snacks my salty sweet saga 2.0 by kimberly tronic as i cut you off to give you a plug <laughs> hey either way either way i'll take whatever i can get man but yeah. it's always always great catching up with you um you know i love hearing about your creative endeavors and all your exciting projects and you inspire me as like just as much as likewise so i appreciate you as well because awesome you're, you're keeping me going on my creative uh adventures too so i thank you for that sir yeah uh, you're you're an amazing person i love you i take every opportunity to tell you that and i appreciate everything about you so everybody else will love you as well um be her patient read her book it's, you'll be better for it so signing off on all that absolutely thanks again my all friend right. i appreciate you later